Hello and welcome to How Many Geese. I'm Jack Adams. And I'm Roddy Shaw. And if you're looking for a nature podcast that doesn't take itself too seriously, then we are the natural selection. On today's show, I imagine they view the world like Neo in the Matrix, <laughs> but with shrimp. I think we should have talked about a carpy as one of our objectionably sexy animals. Yeah. I don't know what that is, but I know that's not a dog. It all began when the lion's keeper was distracted by a fight between an ostrich and a deer. <laughs> right. I love it when you start, like when you start your ones and you just start smirking and laughing before you even said anything. Usually bodes well. <laughs> so, what I'm going to go through is inspired by something we've already recorded. Mm -hmm. So, we discussed the greatest How Many Geese headline of all time, which was, as we know and love, the briefly inspirational and ultimately depressing story of the most heroic cow in Poland. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep, I remember it, it well. the greatest collection of words. Find me a finer collection <laughs> of words. I challenge anyone out there listening to submit a better headline to either Jack or I yep. than the briefly inspirational and ultimately depressing story of the most heroic cow in Poland. <laughs> R.I.P. Right. And that then sent me on a merry path looking at other animals which have escaped. Right. In doing this, there's a lot. Okay. So I think we might in time come back to this because there are story after story after story, mm -hmm. right? But with my initial look, what really stood out to me to start with was animals escaping in the Victorian era. Oh, okay. Great. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So in no particular order... Yep. Total lie in a very particular order. <laughs> <laughs> that order being chronologically. <laughs> right, okay. I want to go through some escaped animals of the Victorian era mm -hmm. and then introduce you to perhaps the greatest animal escapist of all time. Oh, okay. Who is much more modern. But one of the reasons there were so many escapes back then, also, I think it's worth touching on, is because back in the Victorian time, it was very popular to have traveling zoos and gentlemen of leisure or would have their own menageries there seemed to be menagerie you from the reading i did it looked like you couldn't move for a menagerie right <laughs> in victorian era and i should state as well this isn't exclusive to the uk mm -hmm. one of these is in i think france and a couple of these are in america but that whole you know what are we late 19th century a lot of traveling circuses a lot of menageries menagerie 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 yeah. To give you an idea of the scale that some of these menageries could be, they were generally maintained by wealthy and aristocratic individuals, and some idea of the magnitude comes from looking at catalogues that, when someone died and they were auctioning off their estate, looking at the catalogue for that auction gives us an idea as to like how big some of these menageries were. I see. And Wait, so if somebody died, they just have to auction off their... Five lions or... Five lions is humble, oh, Jack. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, in 1851, the menagerie and aviary at Knowsley Hall near Liverpool, mm. which had been formed by the Earl of Derby, right. who was the president of the Zoological Society of London and was auctioned upon his death, included... There's a figure for birds mm. and then a figure for how many mammals. Okay. Do you want to take a swing? Is this individuals or of, of species? Is this like in X number of birds? I think it's X number of birds, X number of mammals. Okay, Not. I think he has 300 birds. Okay. And mammals, yeah. I think he has less. 
Yep. I think he has 250. Okay. The Earl of Derby had 1,272 <laughs> birds, <laughs> 345 mammals wow. that had to be auctioned off <laughs> at the time of his death. It was a hell of an auction. Imagine, like, when older family members die mm-hmm. and you're, like, having to go through their belongings. Like, Grandma's been a bit of a hoarder. Yeah. And she's just got a room full of stuff that's not been looked at since the 60s. <laughs> Open and you're boxes. Like, yeah. And you're like, now I'm great. Now I've got to get rid of this stuff. Imagine your dad being the Lord of Derby from Knowsley Park and you just going in and there's just a room full of spider monkeys that you've got to deal with. Pretty much seemed to be the case as well. All these people just collect and collect and collect. Yeah. And then... Yeah, I mean, so you hear that, and then it's like, God, no wonder stuff was running rampant around the place, right? So, starting us off in 1821, Mm -hmm. we have a nocturnal apparition. And this nocturnal apparition was in Paris. Right. And apparently inspired, or at least it bears a very uncanny resemblance to an Edgar Allan Poe detective story. Now, this nocturnal apparition caused the death of a man in Paris. Oh, and it was a chimpanzee. <laughs> <laughs> so we're coming in Great. with a how many geese favourite. Yeah. This is why we don't fight them. This is why we fear them. This is why we run from them. The most terrifying animal on the planet. Yep, is also the first entry in our Victorian <laughs> catalogue of what showed up. So it just turned up somewhere in Paris at night and killed a man. It was described as having groped its way along the rooftops. <laughs> <laughs> Only a chimpanzee could do that. I know. And descended through one of the chimney pots. Uh, into somebody's house into the victim's bedroom <gasps> causing the man to die of fright <laughs> <laughs> what yeah. by fright does it mean having his face forcibly removed from his head <laughs> quite possibly and in Edgar Allan Poe's detective story the street it happened on in Paris is Rue de Monet mm-hmm. and Edgar Allan Poe's story is the murders in the Rue Morgue okay. right so there seems some Although reading that and thinking to myself, Rue is just street, and it's just the fact that Morgan Monet both begin with M. Uh. But anyway, but in this, two women are, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't read the 1841 <laughs> detective story, uh, two women are brutally murdered by an escaped orangutan. Oh. But it seems that, yeah, this large ape was probably a chimpanzee. This guy, bless him, woke up and there was a chimp coming out his chimney. That's horrible. That is terrifying. <laughs> yeah. God, forget like monsters under the bed. Yeah. A chimpanzee down the chimney. We've now crossed the channel. Okay. We're in 1857 London. A van traveling from London's docks to Charles Jamrak's exotic animal business. Mm -hmm. And out from this van jumps a whole tiger. As the animal skulked down the road, she was approached by a young boy who unwisely began patting her. Oh, my God. Thinking she was a big dog. <laughs> a big, stripy dog. I know. This kid, I mean, I don't know how much to pin this on this kid because 1857, you probably have no idea yeah. what a tiger could be. But at the same time, I think you should know enough <laughs> about what a dog is <laughs> to know that that's not. I don't know what that is but I know that's not a dog. <laughs> okay. So he began patting her. Want to guess how that went? Did, did he die? <laughs> he didn't die. But all it says is that the tigress responded by seizing the boy by the shoulders. <laughs> so Mr. Jamrak, yeah. of whom this tiger ostensibly belonged, jumped out of his van and began hitting the beast on the head with a crowbar. The Victorians described the boy as frightfully mangled. Oh, <laughs> 
<laughs> he eventually <laughs> recovered from his injuries, but continued to show signs of psychological trauma. <laughs> well, no shit. I know. The Birmingham Daily Post reported that he subsequently conducted himself in a strange manner at school and bit his own brother in bed in the belief that he was the tiger. <laughs> Maybe he was bitten by a radioactive tiger. Uh, Became Tiger Man. Tiger Man, yeah. <laughs> tiger King. Yeah. So that was 1857. We're now going to cross the Atlantic, mm -hmm. which, of course, also means shit's about to get chaotic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> are we going to land in Florida? <laughs> we are going to land first in Illinois. Okay. We're going to be coming back to the Atlantic. We're going to do a couple Atlantic hops. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> As we go through the years. In 1872, a rhinoceros being led into the ring at Warner & Co.'s Menagerie in Illinois. So this is now we're kind of in a circus affair. Yeah an enclosed space with a lot of people packed in, suddenly threw up its head and broke loose from the men. The animal rampaged through the show, trampling one keeper, then goring another oh in the stomach, ripping out his bowels and killing him on the spot. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Still surging with energy, the rhino stampeded towards a row of seats on one side of the tent, breaking the arm of a spectator. Oh. It knocked down a pole in the centre of the menagerie, romped around a little museum, which I find a very weird addition. It's like some kind of new take on Bull in a China shop. <laughs> a rhino romping around a little museum, burst into the street outside the show, finally came to rest where it was apprehended. Now, apprehended in the Victorian era usually means ended up dead. <laughs> Beaten over the head with a crowbar. Exactly, yeah. So that's our little rhino stampede. Like I said, there's so many of these I'm just sort of peppering them. I mean, you yeah. could you could lose your <laughs> mind going through these. Next one is Sewer Lion. Sewer Lion. Sewer Lion. Not to sue a lion in a... In, this isn't a legal affair. This is a lion of the sewers, <laughs> a la, you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle yeah. type lifestyle. The opening sentence uh -huh. is... It, it's not a headline, so it can't compete with the briefly inspirational, ultimately depressing story of the most heroic cow in Poland. But... It is a set of words which ring very dear and true to this podcast. Okay. It all began when the lion's keeper was distracted by a fight between an ostrich and a deer. <laughs> and an elephant had removed the fastening to the lion cage. <laughs> Real quick. Oh, what a picture. Ostrich versus deer. What are we saying? Ostrich versus deer. I'm going for... Oh, it depends on the deer. Has it got antlers? I, but I'm going ostrich. Yeah, I reckon an ostrich. A, a kick from an ostrich would yeah. really end your day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm going ostrich. Yeah, I think I'm there as well. Unless it's like a full-blown elk yeah, or something. With like antlers. Yeah, yeah, but an ostrich, yeah. So your man's looking at ostrich versus deer. So this is 1889. Yeah. We're back this side of the Atlantic. We're in Birmingham. Great. This guy is meant to be looking after the lion. The ostrich and the deer kick off. He looks that way. The elephant opens a lion's cage. Is this, this sounds like a carefully orchestrated plan by the animals of this menagerie yeah. to free the lion. Yeah. Like, you two just start kicking off over there. Then the elephant reaches around, pulls up the bolt, yeah. so a lion's free. Yeah. So, in 1889, having escaped its cage, the lion slipped out and took refuge in Birmingham's sewers. As news of the escape spread, panic swept through the community. The fear intensified as... <clears throat> As the lion made its way through the sewers, he stopped at every manhole he came to and there sent up a succession of roars. So if you were living in Birmingham in 1889, at any given moment, 
a manhole, <laughs> a lion might just roar up. And imagine, like, the echo yeah, that, it, you so know. deep, isn't it? It's incredible. Right. <laughs> just reverberating through the streets of Birmingham. So, to calm everyone down, the lion tamer staged... <laughs> this, this is where it gets interesting for me. Staged a successful recapture of the lion and informed the public that the drama was over. Okay. The following day... He confessed that he hadn't done this. <laughs> <laughs> this is the lion tamer Frank. It's like Frank, give it like a bit. <laughs> Why? You, how do you stage a successful recapture of a whole? Like he comes out with a bag, and people are like, "Can I see the lion?" No. no. <laughs> exactly. So, not only did he confess that he hadn't done this, he then went to the authorities and requested five hundred policemen. <laughs> To help him catch the loose beast. <laughs> so they stationed the policeman at every manhole cover. Frank Bostock and his men, don't know how many, descended into the sewer and hunted down the lion, cornering, securing him with ropes. Yeah, and and there, quite what happened to the lion after yeah. that, I don't know. Probably not that good. Yeah. Sewer lion, man. Yeah. Okay, we've got two, definitely one, maybe two more, and then we've got the grand finale. Okay. Right, okay. So we're moving through the years. We're now in 1892. Yeah. Back over the Atlantic, we're in Washington, and this is one of my one of my favourite Victorian lines to come out of this. So we've got a bear, right? Okay, <laughs> all good stories start with. <laughs> so we've got a bear. Yeah, it was a grizzly bear, excellent, which had escaped from the National Zoo, right? To which it had recently been sent from Yellowstone National Park. Okay, a boy was walking along what may be this town, and he saw what he thought was an unusual animal atop a nearby hill. Did he think it was a dog? I don't know what he thought, but once he saw it, and here's my nice line, he immediately put forth all of his powers of locomotion to get away from the <laughs> uncomfortable-looking animal. <laughs> <laughs> uncomfortable-looking animal is a good way of describing an animal that will eviscerate you upon impact. This grizzly had not only just escaped, but for the keepers where it had escaped from, it was apparently known to have a bad disposition. <laughs> and they added, had been read. I mean, we're in America, but I'm sticking with the, yeah. the you know, had been fed recently and so was unlikely to eat anyone. <laughs> the news of the bear's escape caused a feeling of uneasiness, especially to those persons who had to send their children to school. Imagine, like, look, we don't think it's going to eat anyone. <laughs> But we're not sure. Exactly. Did have some salmon recently. Yeah, and just being the you know kid at the door, like, do I have to walk? <laughs> Come on, off you go, off you go. I like this one because it's our. It involves a posse. Oh, love a posse. Yeah. We are in the Wild West, so a posse of about two dozen men was quickly organised, armed with pistols, pitchforks, pick handles, and stones. Now. I'm going to say the people armed with stones drew a really short straw. <laughs> yeah. They were at the back of the group. Yeah, they, they were definitely at the at the end of the queue. Yeah. yeah. When the bear was located, the head zookeeper peppered it with both barrels of the shotgun before it then being killed by a farmer. The superintendent of the zoo, another Frank, actually, quite a few Franks <laughs> popping up with escaped animals. Yeah, it's just the last Frank. with a, He's moved over from Birmingham and he's like, God damn it, the bear is out. <laughs> yeah. Um, he blamed the bear's escape on the zoo's stingy budget, which provided enough money to hire only a single night watchman. I do not want to be captious, but desire the public to understand the facts, he told the Washington Post. I am not prepared to... This really... Hang on. Hmm, am I doing American accent? No, I'm carrying on with my gentleman. Anyway, I am not prepared to say what we could do if one of the big elephants should get loose. <laughs> 
it is not a very easy matter to kill an elephant, you know. <laughs> like, I like how, like your <laughs> your defence for a bear escaping on your watch is. Yeah, but at least it wasn't an elephant. Yeah, <laughs> and also, it would <laughs> it would be a burden to him if the it's like Jesus. I mean, if an elephant got, do you know how hard that is to kill? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like no, like you know, oh, we'd want to make sure we got it back. Know what damage it can do. No risks of it. It's like, listen, we know a bear almost ate your kids, but do you know how hard it is to kill an elephant? <laughs> like it's like an affront to him, you yeah. know. Yeah. And the last one, having uh, I said we've got two more. We've not. We're sticking with that one, and then okay. I'm doing the big finale because I've just skimmed the last one and i'm gonna be honest it people were running around looking for a kangaroo it wasn't a kangaroo turned out to be a deer right Right, but we are now gonna move on to the big boy crashing into the modern day yes so that's a that's a taste of some great escapes of the victorian era but surely that only happens in the past roddy (laughs) no it doesn't jack what I'm now going to tell you about is the legend, the absolute tale mm-hmm. of Ken Allen. Ken Allen. The legend of Ken Allen. Is Ken Allen an animal? The legend <laughs> of Ken Allen. <laughs> now, this is, I think, the greatest individual animal you've never heard of. Now, I know you've told me some fantastic things about birds that are intelligent, mm-hmm. and there's always some research subject which does this. The legend of Ken Allen. <laughs> okay. AKA yeah. the Hairy Houdini. <laughs> which was the name given to him by the newspapers. I still can't get over that it's got a first and second name. <laughs> <laughs> no. And there's a reason for that as well. Okay. Right. Ken Allen is a male Borneo orangutan. Right. Okay. In the San Diego Zoo. <laughs> right. He was born in captivity, so yeah. we do know this, on February the 13th, 1971. Okay. And from a very early age, showed signs of just how much of a master escapologist he was going to become. Right. Named after the two keepers, Ken Willingham and Ben Allen. Okay. Who, yep, so that's where... That's nice. (laughs) We've got this giant wizard of the forest (laughs) called Ken Allen, (laughs) which just makes it better. If you went to the zoo and someone was like, do you want to meet Ken Allen? You think they'd mean like... I know. The zookeeper, a janitor, like something like that. Yeah, yeah. It's, Ken Allen is a definitely works in accounts <laughs> yeah. name, yeah. right? Named after the two keepers who kept him. So we got Ken and Ben, mm-hmm. and they rescued him from his mum. Like I said, he was born in captivity, but she kept lying on him, smothering him, so they rescued her. As a, as a young orangutan, he would unscrew the bolts of his cage at night explore the nursery, and then put his cage back together <laughs> for when his keepers arrived in the morning. Ken. Like, Ken Allen is... Yeah. An, these these other animals, hooligans, Amateurs. vagabonds. Yeah. Ken Allen is an artiste. Yeah. <laughs> okay. His first great escape. Yes. 13th of June, 1985. Okay. So he is 14. Yeah. He's 14. By this time... He weighs 250 pounds, right, or 113 kilos. Oh. Full-blown adult male orangutan. And to give you an idea, especially looking at the, uh, you know, like unscrewing a bolt, seven men, yeah. one orangutan. Wow. Okay. Yeah, right. They're seven times human strength. Yeah. Um, so if you are a zoo, you probably don't want that getting too loose. No. No. <laughs> right. His first escape. Not entirely too sure how we did it, but he just climbed out of his cage 
Right. <laughs> so he's now in a, in a in a bit more of a modern esque zoo. You know, it's a pen. It's not a cage that well, he's like unscrewed. The big open open where plan. They got the wall, the steep walls. Exactly. Yeah. So the back of his cage is a wall. We're gonna we're gonna come back to that wall. Right. <laughs> Remember that. Yeah. It's so it's like a kind of pit. Yeah. Thing. Right. Um, pit's a bit harsh, but anyway. So he escapes out of his pen. And he literally just started walking down the public path towards crowds of tourists, <laughs> stopping to look at the other animals as if he were a visitor. <laughs> <laughs> Ken literally just wanted to stroll around the zoo. Yeah, that's like some of the other animals we've heard of. Maybe it's the way the Victorians painted them, but there's not too many ways you can paint a lion and a grizzly bear in a positive picture. But I feel like Ken, there's no there's no maliciousness in this escaping. He's just going for a little wander. He's literally, he climbs out of his cage to go for a wander, stuck to the path, stopped to look at the other animals. Uh, before, waving at them, you fucking losers. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> before eventually being, you know, led back to his pen. Yeah. They were like, oh, that was, whoo. Yeah, got, got away back. with that one. Exactly, exactly. Um, so, in looking to up security, the um, they expanded the moat and raised the back wall by four feet. Mm -hmm. A few weeks later... We're now in July 85. All right. He climbed out again. <laughs> <laughs> and this time, he was more irritable. Ooh. But again, Ken Allen, you know, still has standards. Yeah. His irritation was directed at one individual, another ape enclosure, Otis, a previous orangutan he had been penned up with, who the zookeepers said they were not known to be amiable. <laughs> Ken Allen climbed out of his pen, went straight to Otis's enclosure, started chucking rocks at him. <laughs> <laughs> His first, his first escape was just like a reconnaissance. He was just finding Otis. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> like, right, now I know where you are. Yeah. <laughs> the escapes continued. <laughs> that August, we're now a couple months later. So this is like three months, every month for three months in a row, Ken Allen has escaped. He's just busting. Just, just over the summer. He's, Ken's a wild summer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. He found a crowbar in his pen. Oh my God. That workers had left behind tossed it to another orangutan, Vicky, right. who then pried open a window on Ken's enclosure. <laughs> <laughs> Ken got out again. What? <laughs> yeah. After that incident, yeah. to up security in his cage again. I mean, any sort of security would be good at this point, San Diego Zoo. <laughs> I know. But, right, they, right, they get him, they catch him, we're like, we need to examine his enclosure. Yeah. So he basically got sent to orangutan prison. <laughs> He was moved temporarily to an indoor pen with oh. a black and white television and one working channel. <laughs> <laughs> he was reported to enjoy the afternoon soaps. <laughs> they, they put my boy Ken in the slammer. <laughs> Justice for Ken. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> right. By this point, reports of his quest for freedom yeah. okay, started to, to travel. Okay, and they became a major selling point for the zoo. It began printing T-shirts featuring all the headlines written about Alan and sold them. Free Ken Allen bumper stickers <laughs> were printed. It was here that the uh, newspaper gave him the nickname the Harry Houdini. Yeah. Here, a fan club was set up for him, consisting mostly of pensioners who called themselves the Orang Gang. <laughs> One member of the of the Orang Gang printed a subscriber newsletter called the Orang Gang News. Gets even weirder, a San Diego-based psychiatrist, right? The next set of words aren't going to make any <laughs> sense either. Called Dennis was so inspired by Ken Allen that he wrote a song about him <laughs> called The Ballad of Ken Allen, 
which includes the lyrics. Ken Allen is one hunk of a man, never speaks too much. He has big old hairy hands. He's got a lifetime sentence for some monkey in a round. They said, he said no bars can hold him. Now that boy is jungle bound. <laughs> It became an instant local hit. Oh, my God. <laughs> and the zoo sold the single. And honestly, you can YouTube the ballad of Ken Allen. The guy who wrote the, the psychiatrist, it doesn't... I couldn't find anything else about this guy. He just seemed to be a psychiatrist who released a single on Ken Allen and the B-side was a ballad to the California Condor. Right. That's this guy's musical output. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Meanwhile... <laughs> While our boy Ken's in the slammer right. and his hits are on the radio yeah. and people have got free Ken Allen bumper stickers. Right. It's, like, it's like Tiger King when Joe Exotic got locked up and then became a star while he was in jail. So while he was locked in the slammer, the zoo hired a team of professional rock climbers to look at the wall and work out any possible toe, finger hold or anything. Mm -hmm. Okay. They added electric wire and expanded the moat again. But even after that, at a cost of some $45,000, <laughs> they then would watch him when they put him back in the enclosure, post-monitoring, post-getting rid of any toehold or fingerhold. Yeah. But they noticed that if uniformed zoo employees approach the enclosure, yeah. he would back off whatever he was doing. Oh. So the zoo then had to put its employees in disguise. Plain clothes zookeepers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> To monitor Ken Allen, okay, in what one headline dubbed "Gorilla Tactics." Oh, very good. Thank you very much. For that very headline. Good. Yeah, and they found him literally climbing like Spider-Man. Direct quote up the exterior wall, which was the one that they had had to like sand every possible thing. Yeah. He just gripped his way up there. What? Um, before and because they'd added the electric at the top. He then got a shock off that and gave up. So oh, okay. nothing you know, major happened to him or anything. So the new security measures seemed to work. Okay. Two years later. Oh, he was just <laughs> planning. He was just exactly. biding his time. Exactly. His, he escaped again. Mm -hmm. The water pump for the enclosure's moat broke, got clogged. Broke, in inverted commas. Exactly. What clogged it? We don't know. Ken's... Okay. <laughs> Ken's crowbar or whatever he smuggled in from his time in the slammer. Exactly. Whatever Vicky's thrown over from the one next door. <laughs> exactly. She, she's, she's one of those, you know, like when um, you, you get these dudes like sent to solitary confinement and they start corresponding with some woman on the outside. Yeah. And then, <laughs> they get Vicky. infatuated with them. And yeah. <laughs> that's Vicky. Um, so the water pump clogged, causing the moat to dry up. Oh. And before anyone noticed, now, I don't know how long it takes for a moat to dry up, but I think it's, <laughs> yeah. that's not a before anyone noticed type thing. He'd walked across the dry moat, hoisted himself out the rocks on that side, and was going around the zoo again. <laughs> Straight over to Otis. Po by this point, remember this is two years later, yeah. his single's been out, people got bumper suits, yeah. people with his teachers, he's walking around the zoo, posing for photos with tourists. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ken Allen's energy is Unreal. Yeah, before uh, Gardner spotted him and security guards ran down on him, he saw that, he he, he bolted, right, uh, headed towards the lion pens before they sort of got him, cornered him, tranked him, put him back in the thing. But that was the furthest he'd ever made it right. from his enclosure. So desperate to try and keep him in his pen, okay, the zoo added two female orangutans. <laughs> <laughs> Not Vicky, though. Oh, man. Jane and Kumang. They couldn't put Vicky in with him. No, they couldn't. They just fight. They definitely find a way to elope together. But Ken Allen's the kind of guy that his spirit shines. Yeah, and he's inspirational. Yeah, people want to be like him. Yeah, yeah. So two months after being put in with him, 
Jane and Kumang broke out. <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea that they put two more orangutans in to stop the one orangutan escaping, and now they just have two orangutans on the loose. Yep. They've just doubled the problem. Yep. Jane was found walking near the flamingo exhibit <laughs> uh, and had to be tranked, but Kumang returned peacefully to her pen. Oh, okay. And she's just, yeah. So, after spending $45,000 <laughs> on engineering Ken Allen's yeah. enclosure, they finally seemed to stop. Over the years, there was a total of nine breakouts. Okay. mad. And crowds at the zoo, if you were there on the day he broke out, uh, would apparently be seen cheering the apes on <laughs> as capers ran after them. <laughs> Eventually, the coverage faded and Ken Allen, you know, relaxed into his later years and just, <laughs> it actually says, returned to a simple life of sitting in his pen and giving young children the finger. <laughs> <laughs> you don't snuff out Ken Allen's flame. <laughs> By 2000, he got diagnosed with... Uh, cancer basically mm. you know hard life life yeah. crime yeah and the orangang news published a special two-page tribute edition and held a candlelit vigil for him oh. when he passed away at the age of 29 but the article ends did he oh. <laughs> <laughs> or was it all one last heist <laughs> It's time for that part of the show where we take one of nature's magnificent creatures and we pit it against Roddy Shaw in a fight to the death. Now, today's animal has been submitted by three people, actually. Storm, Isaac Sterling, and FTOtography. Don't know if I've said that right. Um, and it is the coconut crab. Now, let's get to know our foe. The coconut crab, also known as the robber crab, or brilliantly, the palm thief, is a huge land crab found on islands across the Indian Ocean and parts of the Pacific, weighing in at up to 4.1 kilograms and with a width from the tip of one leg to another of a metre. They feed mostly on fleshy fruits, seeds and nuts, most notably, as their name suggests, coconuts. They're able to cut holes into them with their strong claws or carry them up to 10 metres up a tree and drop them to crack them open. They then descend from the tree by jumping off and can survive falls of at least 4.5 metres completely unscathed. So they're pretty solid, tanky things. They don't just eat fruit. They're omnivorous and have been seen eating tortoise hatchlings, dead animals, other crabs, Polynesian rats, and in 2016, one was documented climbing a tree approaching a sleeping red-footed booby, a fairly large seabird, breaking its wing, knocking it out the tree, climbing down the tree, breaking its other wing before five other crabs emerged from the bush and proceeded to tear it apart. Their crushing power in these larger crabs' claws have been recorded at being 3,300 newtons, comparable to the bite force of a big predator like a lion. On the islands where these crabs live, the crabs are king. Have no fear, though. Because Thomas Hale Streets notes in 1877 a trick used by Micronesians of the Line Islands to get a coconut crab to loosen its grip. He says, It may be interesting to know that in such a dilemma, a gentle titillation of the under-soft parts of the body with any light material will cause the crab to loosen its hold. How are you feeling so far? Nervous. <laughs> I think the most nervous 
ever? Um, this is, I mean, when you said it, my, my jaw kind of, I was really left field. Oh, yeah. Didn't, yeah, what a... When I read the paper about how they were witness, how they killed this red-footed booby, which was literally approaching it while it was sleeping, break one wing, knock it to the floor, climb down, break its other wing, and then an army of them coming out of the bush and tearing it apart. I was like, wow, these these crabs. That is, these crabs are not to be messed with. They're not fucking about. Do you want to know, though, before you start, I've got a little bit about a weakness, a potential weakness. We didn't, what's his name, say... Oh, the titillation bit, titillate. yeah. Although, saying that, if it's got hold of you, it's... The, 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 force, long, the time for titillation is long gone. Yeah, it's potentially the bigger ones have got a clamping force like the bite of a lion. But there is another weakness, because they use a special organ called a brachiostagial lung to ah, breathe. Right. This is best described as the development stage between gills and lungs. And this special lung contains a tissue similar to the stuff that's found in gills, but evolved to better absorb oxygen from the air rather than water. This needs water to properly function, and they use their smallest hind legs to clean and moisten it. Coconut crabs use them to clean this breathing organ and to make sure um, that it can still work. So although they are land crabs, they still need a relatively moist environment. Now, you might want to factor that in. You might not want to. But I thought, given the formidable nature of this creature, I'd offer you a little bit of a... A little bit of a uh, advice there. But anyway, Roddy Shaw, how many coconut crabs are too many coconut crabs? Single digits, <laughs> I think. These are huge. When I was looking at the pictures of them, they're massive. They're monsters, aren't they? A metre long from tip of the... A metre wide from the tip of the leg to the tip of the other leg. Yeah. Up to 4.1 kilograms. That's heavy... Like a- cat a house cat is like four kilos that's a solid crab yeah they can survive falls out of trees of 4.5 meters so this is actually quite timely for me in some ways and my many internet travels right because i recently saw a video straight out of our favorite continent australia exactly (laughs) nature's thunderdome (laughs) of some guys there now they were on a golf course and one of them looked back and the video was a coconut crab climbing up the kind of golf bag thing <laughs> and had gripped a golf club and in their attempt to wrestle it off as it tightened and t- it was going on for ages at one point they literally just left it they took everything else and just left it with the golf club and they were like ease off but then the guy was like I really wanted that so they try and get it back and basically it shears the golf club now what think of the forces a golf club is meant to kind of go through oh yeah you know, and this crab is just, it's not even like you're dealing with an animal that you can look at and understand you got reason with in it. its eyes. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? These are just, they're not on a... Ancient creatures. Yeah, they're thinking in some kind of crab binary. <laughs> you know, I imagine they view the world like Neo in the Matrix, <laughs> but with shrimp or something like that instead of numbers. I can't believe it's seven of... Just straight through. through. Like, and... With all due respect, Thomas Hale Streets in 1877. But if it's got a strong enough grip to shear a golf club, then gentle titillation of the undersoft parts of the body feels like it's coming a bit too late to release the grip. But perhaps we must beat the coconut crab at its own game. Right. We need to lure the coconut crab into an environment wherein it expects titillation. Right. Yeah. 
Okay. Massage parlor. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Ma- what like a beauty salon type thing? We've right. got massage parlors, but also sunbeds nearby. Mm-hmm. Oh, and they don't like the heat. Mm, it's all coming together now. Mm. Massage parlor also is a kind of slightly tacky. It's got like palm trees painted on the wall. Okay. Bits and bo- real full sense of security. Right. It's looking around and it's like, I know this. This is beach. This is palm tree. This is crab. Crab, no. Crab, yeah. no, this place. <laughs> Just coming up in ones and twos. Exactly. Ones and zeros. Exactly. Ones and twos. Crab, that's what crab binary is. <laughs> it is ones and twos. Our binary is ones and zeros. Crab binary is ones and twos. <laughs> We get to the massage parlour beforehand, turn all the sunbeds on. Mm. Some, do sunbeds give off heat? I don't know. These ones do. Fuck it. It's my <laughs> massage parlour. <laughs> well, because I was thinking it's UV. I that... don't know, actually. I don't know whether they do, or you wouldn't be able to lie in them. Oh, yeah. I've never yeah. been one. But it's UV, isn't it? So it wouldn't be. But these ones are hot. Yeah. Hot, <laughs> hot bed. Turn the radiators on. Exactly. Hot yep. bed. So making it dry. So the crab's like, oh, this is... One two two one one yeah. one two two one two one two one. These armored robot assassins. <laughs> the humidity in that room is low. Is approaching zero. Yeah. However, they are, and I'm saying they because we're definitely more than one. Mm-hmm. Into the massage parlor, they turn around the door. Suddenly, there's palm trees painted on the wall. I've slipped into a masseur disguise. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, welcome, Coco, and friends. Um, how can I help you? I've turned on the, the heaty yeah. things in the other room. They're looking at the palm trees. One, two, one, one, two, one, two, yeah. one, one, two. Wait, so so you've you've just gone, hello, Coco and friends. I assume you're here for the half past ten. Exactly. And then they've gone, one, two, one, one, two. Yes. Oh, you're here for two. <laughs> <laughs> and then are you leading away? Are they going with you? Yes. Because now they don't, because your disguise is so exceptional, they yes. now are like, well, where's Roddy Shaw gone? Yeah. So then, so then what is it? Because the whole... I, I want to stick to our own rules here. It's how many till I'm overwhelmed. Yeah. So it's basically how many coconut crabs can I incapacitate yeah. and subdue before coconut crabs realize the other coke something's up. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So this now isn't a test of skills because this trap is so perfect that I've taken them to an area where they don't recognise me. It's a false sense of security because of the decor. We've got the heat turned up so they're not breathing too good. And then I take them into a massage room and I'm like, let me titillate you. (laughs) And then boom, coconut crab dealt with. Yeah. So, so, right. We've also established they only think in ones and twos. Yeah. Which means that after two crabs have gone in, they have no further concept... (laughs) Like they can, so I think it's three because the, th- the the crab the, the crabs are sitting in the waiting room. Yeah. Crab one goes in. Yeah. All the crabs like one 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 yeah. one. Crab two goes in two 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 two. And then when they don't come back, this isn't making any sense. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm sticking with it. Well, also, I also think- the moment a coconut crab gets me, we know it can go through a golf club. It can go through my fingers. Yeah, I've got no hands. Sure. I'm dead. And you can't titillate with no hands. Also, exactly. I think. Three is a good answer because you only have two hands. You could only possibly titillate two crabs at the same time. Exactly. So even if I was making sense, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the fact that you've brought sense to it is great because I can only titillate a maximum of two. I can only massage two crabs at once. That's what they say about me. I'm two crab Roddy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Everyone knows me as two crab Roddy. <laughs> and so that third crab 
if it for a moment sees through the illusion, yeah. if it realizes, if it goes to climb a tree, because I have to keep it entertained that it's not trying. Yeah. If it goes to climb, realizes it can't, the jig's up. Yeah, it game over. Then it's so all hang off. On. Exactly, something's afoot. It yeah. pinces me. Game over. I'm dead. Because also. They, if they can go through a golf club, they can go through my Achilles tendon. Oh, yeah. And that is one of the most terrifying things I think can ever happen. Losing that. Is that getting cut. A coconut crab gets my Achilles, I'm dead. Yeah. I mean, they're perfectly evolved for literally just snipping that. Yeah. Like a piece of string. Three coconut crabs. Okay, so we've had a question here from Alex. For this one, we've got to paint a bit of a scenario before we dive into the question. It goes, you've been painfully single for seven years and your family won't stop nagging you about it. What's the ultimate animal to turn up with on your arm at a wedding or other family gathering to shut them all up? So <laughs> it's multifaceted, this one, because we've got to think. I mean, it's got to be attractive. It's got to be friendly. It's got to get on well with your nan. It's got to be a bit outgoing. Got to socialise. You don't just want it to sit in the corner. There's a lot of pressure being put on this animal. Maximum impact, minimum amount of time. We've had a similar question in the past about what is the most, uh, what is the sexiest animal? The sexiest animal objectively. Yes, thank you. And we rightfully said the secretary bird. Rightfully. Rightfully, there is only one answer. I don't want to wheel that out again. Well, do you think it works in this scenario? Because I I immediately went secretary bird. But, do you think a secretary bird is going to talk to your nan? No, I get what you're saying. It's got that aloof kind of just a bit sort of steely Mm. a bit like unobtainably thinks it's better than everyone else because it is yeah yeah thinks i i don't think it would talk to you know your cousins yeah they're beneath it yeah okay as sexy as a secretary (laughs) which it is yeah (laughs) gotta be friendly that's what's gonna win over the family okay here's a question okay where are we at with bear with me sexual dimorphism because if i want to take a peacock right as the male well that's the one i want to bring yeah hey it's 2022 look it's 2022 obviously you can take whatever whatever you want exactly but i've got to introduce it to my nan <laughs> <laughs> for a lot of the bird world yeah there's a look we don't make the rules here no we're just insect world i'm bringing a hell of a spider with me yeah okay <laughs> but let's assume your nan isn't homophobic <laughs> which i know guys it's a bit of a stretch for most of our nans <laughs> but let's assume that they're not homophobic okay so it can be any animal and they won't judge you any they won't judge you depending on what sex of animal you bring peacock peacock would be good i reckon peacocks are down to earth enough that they'd chat yeah i feel like it'd probably get a bit larry with the drinks i can just see it getting a bit like i think it might end up punching a brother when you sort of get to like two in the morning yeah because the first few times it puts its tail up everyone's like oh god look who's look who he's brought you've done well yeah 2 a.m it's had a few yeah open bar you know oh give it a rest we get it it. jesus wept okay so you're coming in too strong with i think maybe a little too strong with peacock no big cat is talking to your cousin that's true they've got no time for they've that they've got secretary bird energy yeah i was thinking about universally loved animals 
Hedgehogs. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> Hedgehogs. a hedgehog. Hedgehog. Did you say it's bringing it to a wedding? Yeah, after oh, like seven. Yeah, yeah, like a it's wedding. It's the first intro. Hedgehog is bringing like baked goods. That, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. it's bringing. It's making an effort. Yeah. And it's lovely. That's quite, yeah. yeah. It's, it's lovely. So hedge, Hedgehog would definitely talk to you then. But then Prickly. I was going to say, for the, for the hogs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Your fragile man. Got skin like tracing paper. Yeah. Okay, I, I was thinking, universally loved animals, dogs. Are there any sort of wild dog, wolf sort of things going on? What's the one in South America with the long legs? Is that a maned oh, wolf? Oh, the maned wolf. Yeah. yeah. That's a bit weird. That's a bit of a recluse though, isn't it? Mm. Aren't they a bit like weird and on their own? And I feel like a maned wolf would shoot up a skull. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I, I was running that through my head and I was like, how else do I phrase this? But that's that's what I was thinking. <laughs> that's the most loaded thing we've had on our light-hearted comedy nature podcast to date. Okay, so we're not doing a maimed wolf. Sea lion. Thoughts on a sea lion? Sea lions. Got party tricks. Yeah, but... Maybe a bit larry again. I want a, a sea lion's a ten. I want everything a sea lion's got, but a seven. Uh, okay, yeah, got you. Yeah. Sea otter. Like, oh, hello. A sea otter's a good one. Sea otter is very lovely. Great, very fluffy. Great with your niece. Yeah. Um, great hugs. Great with your nan. Yeah. Has great stories to tell. Anything that lives in the sea is going to have a good story. Yeah. That time it saw a killer whale. <laughs> yeah. You know, whatever. And they're chill. I've never seen an angry sea otter. No. Ever. They're always laid on their back, floating around. And it's handy as well, like, because yeah. they can crack open things, you know, they get the rocks and they it could, crack things open. It's it's first family gathering yeah. type venture, so it's going to be asked to hold the camera. Mm, yeah. And it's going to work it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, see lion, you've got full flipper. Yeah. See otter, you give it the camera, it knows what it's doing. Yeah. And it's okay with not being in the picture. Yeah. The sea otter is going to be straight in there. Yeah, the sea, the sea lion. Oh god! <laughs> yes, the sea lion is gonna want to be front and center. Yeah, sea otters are a really good one. Here we go, back yeah. on the land. Okapi. Oh yes, bit shy, but I reckon your uncle's giving you a pat on the back. I think we should have talked about okapi as one of our objectionably sexy animals. Yeah, I'm thinking you about walk it in now. with an okapi. Yeah, yeah, all eyes on it. Yes, people in whispers. He's done well. Yeah, people are like Jesus. Is that? Is yeah. that Roddy? <laughs> <laughs> I think, and a copy's a great one, I do think it might get a bit overwhelmed at a large gathering with all your family, but understandably so. Sea Otter's going to, like, entertain the kids yeah. in some way. Yeah. I think the Okapi will settle and will be caring with you. It will listen to you now. I mean, yeah. Things I'm not bringing. <laughs> Pufferfish. <laughs> <laughs> They're out. <laughs> There's very few sexy frogs. Yeah. Hang on. No. There are sexy frogs. Right. Poison dart frogs. Poison dart frogs. They're sexy frogs. Yeah. However, <laughs> no one's hugging them. No. So they're out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm going to rectify my statement. There are sexy frogs. The sexy frogs will kill you. Yeah. And everyone you know on contact. On contact. Birds, we can rattle through them. We've got uh, peacocks. A bit too much. A lot of good birds are yeah. too much. No yeah. parrots. No parrots. No parrots. Oh, could you imagine anything worse at a wedding? What about one of the nice pigeons? Not mm. the pigeons we have on the street. Like a tropical fruit like dove. Like the fruit doves. Yeah. 
What were we saying? I think they'd be nice. I think conversationally, I think they got a bit more to offer. Victoria Crown Pigeon. Victoria Crown Pigeon. That's extra. That's too, <laughs> that's too extra. Could you, yeah, yeah. She's showing up the bride, isn't yeah, she? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Tiara bringing her own tiara. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. God, these are niche pigeon jokes. <laughs> Everyone, Google all the pigeons we've just mentioned and join your own dots up. Go from our street pigeon to fruit gov to Victoria Crown pigeon, and, and when you see Victoria Crown pigeon, you will understand why that will upstage your pride. No birds of paradise. I was just coming to birds of paradise. Nope, they're all out. They're too showy. Too much going on. Too much going on. Um, it's hard to find the right level of bird. I think there's some nice ducks. We've spoken about some nice ducks before. Things like an Ida duck. They'd be good with the kids. Smew. Very maternal. You know, yeah. all the little kids following yeah, 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 yeah. into the lake and drown. <laughs> <laughs> you all go out for photos and your date just <laughs> bombs it for the lake. <laughs> Everyone's kids following some Pied Piper-esque, watery... There's a lot of kids <laughs> dying in this question, can I just say? Um, <laughs> um, yeah, all the bird, Like, any bird of prey is too scary. Yep. There's no birds of prey that are... Oh, what about an owl? Barn owl. Bar, yeah. Barn owl's the one. Who could not like a barn owl? In fact, if you literally... Even if I went... I might go to the next wedding I go with a human date but also just bring an owl yeah <laughs> i reckon if you bring an owl to a wedding everyone's on board yeah Agreed. i think that is a great move and anyone with any weddings coming up do it feedback because i've yeah. got a wedding in the summer so if anyone can road test this between now and then that'd be great and if you have a barn owl that you're willing to then lent get, in, <laughs> get in touch <laughs> so what are we down to barn owl a copy Hedgehog, but put a big jacket on your nan. Hedgehog in a puffer jacket. Yeah. Ducks, so long as it's not near water. Yeah. Sea otter. Sea otter. Sea otter's the winner. Sea otter, a yeah. carpy, barn owl. Top three. Done. Bosh. Okay, thank you very much for listening to season three of How Many Geese. That is what it was. <laughs> that is what it was. Yeah, we never thought we'd get here, and we never thought so many people would be listening to our ramblings about how many animals we could fight or crazy topics that blow our mind but we really really appreciate everyone for listening and coming along on this ride with us yeah we record this in a tiny room and there are people in peru listening like <laughs> yeah. what is going on but um something is and it involves geese and me fighting things apparently yeah um thank you all for listening as i said thanks for sharing and um, thanks to those people who have chucked us a donation on our buy me a coffee uh, account um but we will be back course for season four at some stage we in will the indeed. future thank you so much for listening do give us a share do give us a subscribe do give us a like do give us a review mm. if you are listening to us on itunes please 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 and it's not just you know like hitting the five stars is great that's amazing but the main thing is if you can write anything on itunes as well because they have a whole algorithm thing going on and the more written reviews we get there the more the algorithm works the higher up the listing thingy we goes and it gets more listeners and everyone's having a great time and the goose flock growing yes, yes that's what we want and on spotify as well they have just announced you can rate um, the podcast too so you can't write anything but you can just give us a nice review if you so wish yes so that was season three if you've listened to it fantastic if you've listened to us since season one even better if you haven't listened to season one or two go back and listen to them now <laughs> um we really hope you enjoyed it thank you so so much for listening we will be back see you next time honk honk